with uh, everything going on in our world right now, there, there are many who believe that the end is near. And uh, we've got to say, right, that it's closer than it's ever been. But with current events like uh, Russia invading Ukraine, there are those that think the battle to end all wars, the battle of Armageddon, is drawing near, which will supposedly usher in the end. However, when, when we look to the Bible, we find that it doesn't provide dates or even a timeline for Christ's return. In fact, Jesus himself said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not, not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. So we, we can speculate, sometimes that's fun, right? We can even try to uh, predict the timing of the end, but it's really futile because we just don't know. And the reason that we don't know, the reason that the Bible is deliberately ambiguous when it comes to the return of Christ, is to challenge us to always stay ready. Are you ready? As we, as we continue our series today, Fight for the Faith in the book of Jude, we finally arrive at a section that's easier to understand. Thank the Lord. If you've been with us through Jude this summer, man, there's some hard stuff in there. But over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the importance of fighting for the faith in the midst of false ideas and sinful lifestyles. Judas spent a lot of time, more than half of the book, describing and warning against false teachers that have slipped into the church. But today, Jude uh, kind of turns a corner and heads down the home stretch. He instructs us how to fight for our own faith and the faith of others, and he does it within the context of Christ's soon return. So I want us to jump in. If you could turn with me to the book of Jude. Uh, Jude is right before the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we have free copies back at the Next Step area. There also should be some on the chair rack there in front of you. You can also download a digital version of the Bible by using the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or tablet. I want us to begin at verse 17 there in Jude. Jude writes, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you what? In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So again here, Jude is describing and warning against the false teachers, which he's been doing since verse 4. And the portrait of these false teachers is clear, that they are scoffers. They, they sneer at God's law and scorn at the reality of Jesus' return. They are ungodly. They, they walk according to their own lusts. They are divisive. They, they foster strife, not unity. And bottom line, he says they're lost. They're spiritless. They claim to know Christ, but they are spiritual frauds. But notice here, the last times applies to the time of Jude's writing, right here, right now. And it's only about 30 years after Christ's resurrection and ascension. You see, in Scripture, the last times is a period between Christ's first coming 
and his second coming. And so far, it has spanned some 2,000 years. Now, to us, that's a super long time, right? 2,000 years, that's a long time. But from God's perspective, it's like a couple days. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3. It says, but do not forget this one thing. We probably shouldn't forget it. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years. And a thousand years are like what? A day. So the last 2,000 years has been like two days to God. Pretty incredible. He goes on to say, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand this. He's not slow about Christ's return, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Man, this is God's heart. Again, it's not about the timing of Jesus's return so much as it is about being ready. It's about repentance. See, the primary reason the end hasn't come yet is because God is patient with us. And he's patient with the unbelieving world. He wants more than anything for people to turn to him, and he wants us to go and to tell them while there's still time. Let's continue in Jude at verse 20. He says, but you, dear friends, now he's, he's going to talk directly to us. You, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I want you to go ahead and underline that phrase, keep yourselves in God's love. I want you to underline that because that is the main verb in these verses. Jude uses only one imperative here, and it's the word keep in verse 21. The other three verbs are all participles describing how we keep ourselves in God's love. Here in the context of Jude, in the midst of these false teachers, it's so important that the church keep themselves in God's love. But what does that mean? What does it mean to keep ourselves in God's love? Well, bottom line, it means obedience. Obedience. Jesus said this in John 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now what? Remain. Remain in my love. See, Jesus has loved us. He's done his part. Now we must do ours. We must remain in his love. Now, how do we do that? Jesus goes on to say this in John 15, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's about obedience. And here in Jude, in verse 1, we know that God has kept us. And in verse 24, we'll talk about this next week, he will continue to keep us. But here in verse 21, he says, we also must keep ourselves in his love. In other words, we must take ownership of our faith. We, we need to be proactive while resting in God's love for us. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? How, how do we foster obedience in our lives? Well, first of all, Number one there on your outline, we need to grow in the scriptures. Verse 20 says, 
build yourselves up in your most holy faith. This faith is holy because it comes from a holy God. And this faith, in a nutshell, is the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and the teachings of the apostles and prophets. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.20 that the church is built on what? It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In other words, the foundation, the bedrock of our faith is built on Jesus. It's built on the scriptures. And it provides us a solid and sure place to stand. The solid rock of Jesus and the scriptures. And then from there, what happens? We grow and mature as God's truth fills our mind and heart. As we learn and apply the scriptures to our lives, we are strengthened, we are built up. Just like the air we breathe and the, the water we drink and the food that we eat, we must daily ingest and digest God's word and its truth. I love what the members of the Chinese church used to say. They used to have a saying, here it is. They said, no Bible, no breakfast. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast. What if we were to follow that motto? We might be a little hungry. And I don't know where you're at today in your faith, but, but here at OCC, our, our vision is for you to take a next step closer to Jesus. That's what we want everyone to do today, and we all have a next step to take. Wherever you're at when it comes to the Bible and ingesting it and digesting it, reading it, studying it, just take a next step. Maybe, maybe today you haven't read your Bible in months. Take a next step. The Version Bible app, download it. There's a verse of the day. Just start with that. Read the verse of the day every day and think about it. Or maybe you're a little more advanced. You've done the verse of the day before. Or maybe you read a section of scripture every day. Take another step. Read a chapter. I was listening to a talk the other week, and this guy said that for a disciple of Jesus, we should be taking in 25 to 30 chapters of the Bible every week. Why, why do we need to do all that? It's because all of these other messages and things that are coming at us in the world, right? We need to fill our minds and our hearts with God's truth. We need to grow in the scriptures. Why? So that we can keep ourselves in the love of God. So that we can obey. That wasn't in my notes, but it's pretty good. Next, <laughs> grow in the scriptures. We need to pray in the spirit. That's what Jude says next, pray in the spirit. God's word and prayer are like two sides of the same coin. And here, Jude contrasts the false teachers who do not have the Spirit with those who pray in the Spirit. See, the Bible says that as followers of Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God resides and lives in us to guide us and to convict us and even to pray for us. The Holy Spirit. And praying in the Spirit means that we, we will pray for God's will to be done. Not our own will. And that, Jude says, praying and obeying God's will will keep us close to God. It will keep us in his love. The night before Jesus was crucified, 
He prayed this. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, referring to the suffering he was already experiencing. He said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed for God's will. And maybe like Jesus today, you've been praying and you've been asking God to take some kind of suffering away from you. Something like a sickness or grief or a broken relationship or, or depression. But no matter how much you pray, nothing seems to change. What do you do? Well, like Jesus, you keep praying. You, you let the Spirit control you, not your struggle. You ask God to help you obey in the midst of the pain and to see his plan in the midst of the pain. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6, 18. It says, and pray in the Spirit. There's that phrase again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We're going to do that here in a few moments. We're going to take some time to pray for each other. But how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we obey him? Number one, we grow in the scriptures. Number two, we pray in the spirit. And then thirdly, Jude says, we watch for the Savior. We wait expectantly and with certainty for Christ's return. Again, we may not know the time, but we do know it's coming, right? You know, usually once a year, my wife and our three kids will travel to Indianapolis to visit family, and I will stay back at home. And it doesn't take long for our home to become a bachelor pad. You know, dirty dishes begin to pile up in the sink. Dirty clothes begin to spill over the laundry basket. But a few hours before my family is expected to arrive back home, what happens? Right? I will spend a couple hours getting everything back in order. I'll run the dishwasher and put the dishes in the cabinets. I'll vacuum and wipe down the countertops. I may even do a load of laundry. Maybe. But knowing when my family will return is motivating. See, it, it drives me to get the house ready. Now, since we do not know when Jesus will return... That can present a challenge for us to get ready and stay ready, right? There are days when we're not very motivated. And that's why Jude says here, if we're going to remain in God's love, if we're going to remain faithful, obedient disciples of Jesus, we must remain watchful and ready. We must live with the mindset that Jesus could come at any moment. You see, we, we cannot keep ourselves in God's love if we immerse ourselves in the world, if we take our eyes off our future hope, man, we're going to find that our love for God will dissipate. And that's exactly what has happened to some. Jude continues, look at verses 22 and 23. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. See, what's happened here is these false teachers have caused some in the church to doubt their faith. And some are in danger of leaving the faith altogether. And Jude says, show mercy to them. 
See, like the shepherd that leaves the 99 in the fold to go out to find that one lost sheep, try to save those that have gone astray. And you know, as, as I was thinking about these verses in Jude, I, I thought of college students. I don't know if we got any college students out there today, but um, especially I was thinking of those college students who have been a part of our youth group here at OCC in the past. And I don't know if you know this, but the statistics of what happens to their faith is sobering. In many separate studies, Christian and secular, they all say between 69 and 80 percent of Bible-believing Christians in their 20s leave the faith. 69 to 80 percent. At one time, they believed in Jesus, and they followed his teaching, but now they don't believe anymore. Now, I'm sure that there are many reasons for that, and I can't get into all those reasons, but this is, this is what Jude is referring to here. Be merciful to them and do whatever you can to save them. This is serious. You know, one, one way we can come around our college students is by praying for them. Out in the lobby today, there's a display where you can adopt a college student over the next year, and I'd encourage you to do that. We, we just simply ask that you pray for that college student regularly and that you write a note or a card at least once a semester. All the information you need is out in the lobby. But this is one way we can stay connected to our college students and hopefully help them keep the faith during a very challenging time in their life. Jude continues with a warning. He says, show mercy mixed with fear. In other words, we, we need to exercise spiritual discernment when reaching out and trying to rescue others. I think Galatians 6.1 says it well. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Be smart, in other words. Set boundaries. You see, if a lifeguard isn't careful, they can be taken down with the one they're trying to rescue. And so be sure, be sure to keep yourselves in the love of God, to stay faithful as you reach out. Grow in the scriptures, pray in the spirit, watch for the savior. You know, the fact is you and I, we cannot keep ourselves in the love of God alone. We can't do it. We need our small group. We need our class, our ministry team. We need the people that are sitting next to us right now. It's not an accident that the verb there in verse 21, keep that verb, it's, it's plural, which denotes two or more people. If we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we need other people. We need each other. And so what I want to do to conclude the message today is I want us to do two things together. First, I want us to take a moment to pray. I want us to pray for one another. I want you right now to pray silently for the person that's seated next to you. It might be your spouse. It might be a child. It might be someone you do not know yet. Whoever it is, pray for them. Pray for their faith. Pray that they would keep themselves in God's love. Let's do that right now.
Let's pray. Father, in a crazy world that's full of lots of false ideas and sin, and God, even those things sometimes coming into the church, oh Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit that we might remain in your love. I pray for everyone here in this room, those joining us online. Father, I pray that we would keep ourselves in your love, that we would stay faithful and obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the second thing I want us to do together today. And this is something we do every Sunday here at OCC. You see, the love of God was demonstrated most completely in Christ. And so we want to remember that now by taking communion together. Communion is a communal meal. It's to be done together as a body in order that we might together keep ourselves in the love of God. The Apostle John wrote these words in Scripture. He said, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Communion reminds us of this, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He took the punishment we deserved on the cross, and he, and he did not just do it for us, but he did it for every single person in the whole world. So we take the bread together, remembering the body of Christ given for us and for the world. Let's eat together now. We also take the cup together, remembering the blood of Christ poured out for us and for the world. Let's drink together. Pray with me. Father, today we we thank you for your love. The love that you demonstrated in Christ, your son. And Father, may we keep ourselves in that love. May we have the same attitude and mindset of Jesus, who even though he was God in human flesh, did not use that to take advantage of others, but he humbled himself and became obedient to your will. 
And through that obedience, the obedience of dying a death, even death on a cross, Father, you exalted him to the highest place. God, help us to follow that path, the path of Jesus, the path of love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.